Welcome to the Truth to Power podcast from Churches Together in Britain and Ireland. These recordings were originally streamed as live webinars where we brought together key people from across the church and society to discuss significant contemporary issues. An estimated 6 million people in the UK have fallen behind on one or more household bills as a result of COVID-19. And those trapped in poverty have been hit the hardest. This episode explores the Reset the Debt campaign and was hosted in partnership with Reset the Debt and the Joint Public Issues team. Hello everyone. Uh, I just wanted to welcome you to our webinar this evening. Uh, it's really good to be with you. So great to see uh, people already joining us in the chat. Please do keep your questions coming, your comments coming. It's really important that this afternoon, this evening, um, is a, a collaborative event. We really want to hear from you and we want to be chatting. So really good that you've, you've been able to join us. So. Um, this evening's webinar is being hosted by Churches Together in Britain and Ireland in collaboration with the Joint Public Issues Team and Reset the Debt. So really important topic that we are looking at and uh, thinking about today as we have a growing collaboration across faith groups and across many organisations to um, really to begin to think about what is a, 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 the mounting level of debt within our, our country. I don't know if some of you may have uh, picked up on Dame Louise's case, Louise Case's comments this morning uh, when she was talking about the UK facing a period of destitution in which families can't, maybe in the situation where they can't put shoes on. Um, and it's, the, the, the situation is, is dire. So we really want to be able to reflect on some of these things today. I'm really pleased to be um, able to be here with a number of uh, colleagues and friends. Um, sorry, I should have introduced myself first, shouldn't I? So my name's Diane Watts. I'm leading the Faith and Society team at the Baptist Union. Uh, and we uh, join with other denominations as part of the joint public issues teams to look at some of these issues. So can I introduce my um, fellow panelists here today? I wonder if they could put on their cameras. It would be great to see your faces. Oh, hello, everybody. Jolly good. Well, that's much better. I feel a lot less lonely now. So thank you for that. Um, so just to, just to introduce, you, introduce you all, um, and I don't know what order everybody's come onto your screen. So I shall start at the top of my screen, say hello to Hannah. Um, Hannah is the Joint Public Issues Team and has been working hard on the Reset the Debt um, campaign and uh, organisation. So we're going to hear from Hannah later on about how we can get involved. There's already been a question about um, writing to MPs and things and whether that's very useful. So I really hope we can pick up some of these questions. And um, if I look in other directions, because I'm trying to keep an eye on the chat as well. So apologies if I'm looking slightly manic, everybody. Um, and then um, Cassius, to say hi to Cassius. Cassius um, is has joining us from Transforming Communities Together in the Black Country is a joint venture um, with the Church Urban Fund. Been working for some time, Cassius, working to help um, alleviate and, and avoid debt. At debt. So, um, and just over the period of uh, this COVID time, has developed the COVID Cash Recovery Course, which she's delivering weekly now, um, and, and that will also uh, we'll be talking about that hopefully a little bit later on. And Cass is also a minister with the um, Wesleyan Holiness Church. So it's really good to have you here. 
while we've been talking about the COVID cash recovery course and uh, the work that the Church Urban Fund has been doing with the number of the joint ventures. We have uh, Bishop uh, Joanne Grenfell with us this, uh, this evening. It's great to have you here, Joanne. And uh, as chairman of Capital Mass, which is working um, with the Diocese of London. And I'm sure you'll tell us a little bit more later about some of the work you've been doing. So thank you so much for coming and giving up time to do that. And then I uh, have Paul, um, Paul Morrison, working with uh, the joint public issues team, and as well as the, being the policy advisor for the Methodist Church. Um, and I've spent many happy times talking to Paul, and uh, I know he can just tell you he, what he doesn't know about economics isn't worth knowing, to be honest. So I'm really looking forward to, I know I've got a big job there, Paul, so you're going to have to really go for that one. So it's really good to have you join us today. And as I said, do please, please keep putting your um, your comments and questions in the chat box and I'm really hoping that somebody is, is watching them and bringing them up here so we will certainly try and make sure we answer as many as we can not just at the end but as we go through so if you've got a question for one of the speakers do pop it up and then we will try and deal with it immediately all right I'm going to start then um, and perhaps Cassius if you'd like to come back on screen that would be great and uh, let's just have a little bit of a reflection on what you've been seeing, what the, the picture is of the issue of debt in local communities, because actually this isn't about, um, you know, it's about lived experience, isn't it? So I'd be really interested to hear what you have been seeing where, where you're at and, and, you know, a little bit about some of the work that you've been doing in and around the black country. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I think the, uh, the, the picture that, that comes to mind to me is actually from the early days of, of the lockdown when, um, you know, lots of people were going crazy and filling their supermarket trolleys with, with toilet paper. Um, I, I posted on, uh, on Facebook in celebration at, at getting some uh, chocolate digestive biscuits for my nan um, after a number of days of trying different stores. And someone... Uh, replied and uh, and said they didn't have uh, the choice of stores and actually a, a can of baked beans uh, for them had had gone up hugely in terms of the prices um, and so I, I think the, the the picture for me that uh, that stays is one that is that is mixed um, the recognition that you know we've heard lots of times that we're in this storm together, this storm of coronavirus, but also the recognition that, that actually we're all in very different boats. Um, and, and a real sense, I think, of uh, frustration uh, for lots of local people who've experienced those, uh, those prices going up and, uh, and just feeling increasingly squeezed during lockdown. Um, and, and that's included, you know, essential products um, and and also from the perspective of health, um, just hygiene products as well that, that people have, have really struggled uh, to access. Um, so mm -hmm. certainly a mixed picture from my point of view. Thank you. And you've obviously been working in, in the field of personal finance and debt for some time, haven't you? This is, you know, with the just finance work that you've been doing. Um, how, you how do you see um, COVID has changed debt i mean in debt in itself are you've seen that that's increased or i mean obviously with costs going up as you've mentioned but 
it's not as though you're coming fresh to this field. You've got something to compare this with. What's your feel that's going on here? Yeah, I mean, uh, COVID has, has shone a real spotlight on, I think, inequalities that existed uh, long before we knew anything about this pandemic. Um, but it is clear that uh, those from uh, poorer communities, um, those who are disabled or suffering with mental health problems, um, are, are struggling more. Black and brown communities as well, uh, within that as, as are highlighted in, in the report. So, yeah, there's, there's certainly uh, a sense that uh, certain groups, certain communities uh, have become increasingly squeezed uh, as a result of, of COVID-19 and, um, and, and everything that we are we're having to, to manage as a result financially. Um, but yeah, the, you know, those, those, many of those inequalities have, have existed long before COVID. Yeah. And, and are you seeing a, a difference in terms of, uh, particularly in terms of employment? Because obviously there have been some schemes um, and you've talked about being squeezed already. What, are there any things, I mean, haven't, we haven't wondered just if there was any reflections on that for the particular communities you've talked a little bit about, um, communities who are disabled or uh, the BAME community? Is there anything particular that you wanted to reflect on there? Yeah, I, 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 it, it's been, you know, I, in terms of what the government's put in, we've, we've all seen that, that billions has been uh, been pushed into uh, into the economy to support businesses to to help people who are having to shield and and I think these are all important uh, important measures but it's it's also been clear to me that there are still lots of people who have been falling through through the gaps when it's come to different aspects of support and and also for for people to have knowledge of of the support that's out there uh, as well. I was uh, speaking to um, a colleague worked, working for the YMCA earlier today and, and she talked about meeting someone and being able to, to share as a result of coming on our, our COVID cash recovery course um, because they weren't aware of some of the support that they should have been able to access. Um, uh, and so there is there is still an issue, you know, for lots of people that you know are actually are actually falling through the gaps, gaps even though there's lots of support that that has been put in place. Yeah, access is a really interesting one, isn't it? Um, and we've seen that so often in the past of lack of access in in many ways. Um, but, but that's a really important part of that. Definitely. I mean, you know, I'm as many of us will be now used to, to working from home. Uh, thankfully, the broadband is holding up so far, uh, but digital exclusion is a huge issue in relation to this. Um, lots of the support, lots of the signposting, the guidance that uh, I will ordinarily offer um, is to online resources uh, and the recognition that actually for lots of people they're not able to access uh, online either because they don't have the devices or they may not have the credit uh, to be able to, or the data to be able to access, uh, or they might not have the, the knowledge of, of how, to, um, how to, to access things digitally. So again, 
that's something that has uh, COVID has shone the spotlight on. Um, certainly not new through the pandemic, um, but certainly one of the issues that that's been highlighted. Can I, can I just ask a little bit about debt itself? Um, again, you know, we've seen people being in debt. How much more are you seeing that now in this COVID period? Are, are you seeing people moving into debt for the first time or are you seeing that it has um, made things worse for people who are already in debt? What, what sort of feel are we getting, do you think? The, the sense that, that I get are, um, for example, the, the furlough scheme that, that's uh, continuing until the end of this month. Um, the uh, support for people to go on uh, mortgage holidays or uh, holidays from, um, from other uh, debts that need to be repaid have, have meant that people have been able to, to delay payments. Um, but those payments haven't disappeared. They've just been pushed further down than the road. So uh, it, it, there is a sense for me that actually we haven't uh, seen the complete picture in terms of the debt that, that people are experiencing because a lot of those, um, a lot of those debts have been put on hold currently. Mm. Um, but we are unfortunately expecting that, that there is gonna be uh, a significant increase in debt, uh, as particularly when um, the, the furlough scheme comes to an end. And as we see uh, unemployment continuing to rise. Um, I, I received a, a, a message from a colleague and he wrote that the pandemic's been a shock uh, to people on both a personal and financial level, but in the point, those who've received life-changing news most of the time have had uh, the time to adjust their budget to compensate for their circumstances. But COVID-19 has not only magnified this for individuals, but it's also introduced a new circumstance, uh, which is something that can lead to someone who would normally have not experienced mental health or physical health issues or financial issues and are now experiencing all of these at the same time. And I, and I thought, um, it, you know, in terms of the, the work that my colleague is doing around preventing uh, shocking debt, we're, we are seeing all of these issues convergent and making it be very difficult for people to, to be able to recover. Thank you. It is that converging um, of these issues, isn't that? I've just been looking a little bit in the chat room and I think so much of what Cassius is sharing today is something that's being experienced right across. And thank you for sharing the uh, experiences that you are seeing. You know, the 400% um, increase in people seeking employment advice. Thank you so much there from, from Liz. And then Martin as well um, from the, uh, Debt Advice Centre in the West Midlands talking about the huge, huge increase in people seeking help and support. And each moment of, of asking for help is a moment which has an impact on us as people, isn't it? It's about, you know, our, as you say, mental health and, and other issues. Uh, I think this gives a really, really useful picture of, of what, we're, what we're seeing and um, what we're about and, and what we're facing. And of course, you know, the very situation of what we're in today, th this isn't going away anytime soon. So it would be really helpful now, perhaps if we could um, explore a little bit in terms of reset, 
resetting the debt? What, what can we do usefully to help? And perhaps I could bring Paul into, um, into view. Paul, if you wouldn't mind just opening up your, um, your camera, that would be great. Thank you. Because what we really want to do is to um, think a little bit about, we've, we've looked at what it is, the, the impact debt is having on, on people, on lives of individuals right across our communities. I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about the scale of debt that, that you are aware um, of, that, that we are building up um, as people within the UK at the moment. Well, uh, the, the sort of the campaign comes out of... Uh, stories like Cassius was saying, what, what we did throughout lockdown was we decided to ask community leaders up and down the country what, what were the issues they were seeing. And there was this first issue, which was the immediate, that is there enough food in the food bank? Are there volunteers to take food out? But all the way through, all across the country, we were hearing this thing was behind them. They knew that people were making ends meet and they were doing it by not paying bills or they were doing it by borrowing from friends and family. And they knew, and they knew that this, was, this was, the, was a coming issue. And, and we then started to look at the data that was coming out and what became really clear was that the people who lost their income first were the lowest paid. The people who, uh, so, you have this shrinking of income, especially if you have children. But you also saw that, again, what Cassius has, has said is that people's expenses went up, that where they used to be able to shop around to make ends meet, and some people's budgets absolutely required that they shopped around and got the cheapest goods, that wasn't available anymore. And it was quite clear that the level of debt was going to rise. So our best estimate at the moment is about 6 million people are behind on a, on a bill. Just what, I mean, what the figure that sort of shocks me is that for the last three months, one in five people have borrowed for essentials such as food. So this one is one in five people borrowed one in five households to be. One five households. And that is, that's, that's extraordinarily high numbers, much higher than you expect at any other time. So we, we know that this is a big issue. We know that debts are being built up. But one of the other things we know is that lockdown had two effects. We've been focusing very much on the effect on the poorest families. But actually what happened for higher income folk who kept their income was they had less chance to spend. So we think that it's between sort of six and nine billion pounds that low-income families have racked up in debt. But we also know that higher-income families have paid off about nine and a half billion of credit card debt and another five billion of other debts. So the inequalities that Cassius was talking about are absolutely magnified and you can see them focused in the, da in the data now. So, yeah, but in terms of scale, I think I could summarize that with big. Okay. So really what we're doing this evening is, is reflecting on some of the ways in which we can actually begin to combat this it, um, and address some of the issues that have been, been talked about tonight. Um, tell me why don't existing schemes that are already working uh, deal with the level of debt that you've just outlined sufficiently? Why, why are we looking at something, a new, a new idea? Why can't we stick with what's already happening and hope, for, hope that that would work? 
having problem debt and probably is is not easy at any time and people fall into problem problems with debt for all sorts of reasons but what's happened now is one reason has come along and has pushed millions into debt so the the structures that we have are to maybe you know do a, a debt order or uh, an invalid an IVA or a or, or bankruptcy so there are these ways of writing off debt they they essentially say to the person who lent well you should have taken more care in lending to this person and we're going to write it off and it's going to sit in your books. And it's also a painful and unpleasant process and it's deliberately designed to be a painful and unpleasant process. Sometimes it's the right process to go through. But, it is, but that is, it's designed that way to discourage people from taking on debt sort of recklessly. Well, none of that applies now. There is no need for that. And there is no need for this long and painful process. And actually, one of the if we can't just leave the debt on the on the lender because at the moment one of the big sets of lenders is uh, private landlords. And if they're not paid back, then lots of private sector rental is going to be in trouble as well. And frankly, we don't need a pr more problems with housing in this country. So, and, and they've made their own representations to government, but. This, the system that we have is designed for normal times, and these are not normal times. And, and, and to just carry along that pathway is going to create large problems. Resetting the debt is the principle of Jubilee, then. And just very, very briefly, would you just, when, you, when we say reset the debt, what are, you, what are we saying? What are we meaning? Well, I'd, I'd just like to encourage all the people out there to be really grumpy in the, uh, in the question and answers, because this is the point at which, if you're trying to convince somebody of this campaign, this is where they're going to press. So think of, summon up your inner grumpy person, your inner fiscal conservative, and write the questions they're going to ask. <laughs> We're happy to answer them. Yeah, thank you. But uh, the resetting the debt is about saying, government is going to borrow this money, and it is then going to create a fund that is going to pay off debts. Now, that doesn't mean the debts go away. They are going to stay. They are going to stay on the government's books. But the government's borrowing at, well, in fact, some people are paying to lend their money to the government at the moment. It's a very strange world we live in. So government's borrowing at zero or negative interest rates. So it's affordable at this time. The amount of money is around about five billion, which sounds like a lot of money. And, and it is in many contexts, but in terms of the overall response to COVID, government grants and loans to business are getting close to a quarter of a trillion, which is just enormous amounts of money. And they are there to sort of make sure that businesses can thrive and can be ready for when the lockdown stops. We're asking for this money so that families can thrive and be ready for when the lockdown stops. And it's much less, and in our view, just as important, if not more so. Okay. So any fiscal questions, you're more than welcome to ask. Um, and I think a lot of people on, this, uh, on, the, on the stream at the moment is, gets what you're saying. Um, can I ask a question, really basic question? Can we afford this as a country? I mean, you, you started off by talking about government borrowing, um, I'm trying, going to try and be your grumpy fiscal one, you know, should we really be doing this anymore? 
Well, I, I think that the story I'd like to tell is that in 1946, we had, we had a debt to GDP ratio, which is how you measure debt of a country, of about 250%. And yet we decided that we would introduce a benefit system and a national health service, which were expensive things because it was the right thing to do to make our society, make our society move forward. We're at 100% at the moment, which is a lot, but it's nowhere near, it's nowhere near its peak. And frankly, if we don't invest in families and we don't invest in people's well-being, I don't think our, our, our economy will grow or any of the things we want to happen will be able to happen. So we can afford, I, I suppose I would answer your question with, I'm not sure we can, we can afford not to make sure these families have a safe and stable future. Thank you. Right. I'm just going to check and see if we've heard um, a, a particular views. Um, so uh, we've got a few questions here. So how do you um, how do you test eligibility? That's a really good question. We've heard an awful lot about that. Uh, managing means tested support is costly. If it's not means tested and all are eligible, how do we stop people from taking on debt, knowing uh, that the government will pay for it for them? Really good question. Thank you so much. The, there's the question about how you stop people taking on debt, hoping that the government's going to pay it off, is that we make cl it's clear that this is a scheme that is time limited, that there are points in time where it starts and it finishes, and you won't be able to take out debt during that time that is paid off. So we make it clear that this is about recovery from that first lockdown period and getting people ready for the, the future ahead, which we hoped would be no more lockdowns, but that doesn't seem to be the, the way the world is going at the moment. In terms of eligibility, we, are, we know that other organizations are working in this space, so have got much more detailed proposals than us. Um, they're gonna be published in the next, hopefully next few days. But simply put, that it will be going through the universal credit system, and so it will be worked out with work coaches, and there will have to be an idea of, how, of what evidence is required, which strikes that balance between being confident that you are paying off the right, the right debts, while at the same time making sure that it isn't overly there isn't an administrative burden. And that is a difficult balance to strike, but it, it can be done. And we know that other people with, who are better experts than that are working on it. Right, thank you. Um, I, I'm quite keen that we move on to hear from Bridget Joanne in a moment, but so I just want a question here from John Miles. Hi, John. Um, one argument I've heard from sessions with MPs is that it's best to help people to repay their debts in a manageable way, because that's empowering. Uh, people want to repay, so wouldn't uh, writing off debt be disempowering? And thank you for channeling your, uh, the, the, the grumpy voice, John. I appreciate that because I know that he says that's not your view. Thank you. I think, I think that th that argument has, has a certain amount of merit in normal time. I think it doesn't have a great deal of merit at this time because at this point in time, at this point in time, this large weight has fallen upon people. And actually you would have to give them a huge increase in their, in their incomes such that they could dig themselves out. And that would be much more expensive and long-term would cause all sorts of problems. Actually, this is a one-off problem that requires a one-off solution. And I, I am absolutely confident if, if Rishi Sunak announces it tonight as the result of this webinar, 
okay. nobody is going to shout, I feel disempowered. I'm, I'm very confident that won't, be the, that won't be the shout of those whose debts are being paid off. Thank you. Okay. There is a, a final question from Capital Mass, um, and uh, that really leads us into uh, being able to have a chat with uh, Bishop Joanne. So that would be great um, if we can perhaps do, uh, do that. And then the question from Capital Mass is about how do we convince the government to listen to, to us when it, they're very business focused? Well, I'm going to hold on to that question and um, perhaps we'll, we'll uh, talk to Hannah about that as well, how we can do that. Paul, I, I could keep talking about this for hours and I'm sure that a lot of us can put, be putting uh, questions in the chat box, but I'm aware of time. So welcome, Bishop Joanne, and, and thank you so much for spending some time this, this evening with us. Um, the webinar very much looking at the issue of debt, um, but it's also an opportunity for churches, for people of faith, to reflect on some of the issues. You know, we have, uh, that we have been talking about today. So I, I'd really like to explore um, the role of the church that we have here. So I'm, perhaps I could start off with a question. Um, what are some of the core principles about the Jubilee, which is resetting the debt? What are some of those core principles that, are, um, that it establishes that can see, speak to us today? What do you think? Sure. Um, for me, Jubilee is a, a whole way of thinking about money and systems of money, including lending and borrowing, um, but systems that put our relationship to God first um, and, and put them above simple profit and, and in a way that allows everybody to participate in the common life. Um, so really, it's, it's rooted in texts that you can go and explore for yourselves in, in Deuteronomy 15 and Leviticus 25. Um, and it comes out of the, um, the people of Israel having been liberated. I apologise for the dog barking, it's my shopping arriving. It comes from the people of Israel having been um, liberated and um, God giving a commandment that um, they should be different because of the experience that they've been through. So um, this is about building a new kind of community with a commitment to freedom at its heart. Um, now that really speaks to us today because it, it says that we too need a system that puts human beings first just before, you know, before profit. And also that people can always be brought into common life so that they have enough food and resources um, to survive on. So it would affect how we see lending and borrowing, how we um, treat debtors and those in poverty. Um, it always puts social relationships, human beings, before economic ones and you know fundamentally it reminds us that we're human beings we're not we're not bitcoin in the the world's economic system we're actually children of god and that changes everything so you're saying really that when we're looking at resetting the debt we're not just talking about an economic principle here there's something much much deeper and actually more distinctive too yeah absolutely that's right so that it's actually a a moral issue as much as it is an economic one and it, it has to be underpinned by ethical judgments about what's right and fair whether that's to borrowers or to lenders um, and it's then really about the kind of relational consequences of that that we we need to talk about in in public square discourse not just about what's the interest rate but actually what's the human cost and the human benefit of things um, so you know just a couple of examples um, Leviticus in particular reminds us that the poverty isn't going to just disappear and you know Jesus says in Matthew's gospel about the poor always being with you so if there will always be people in need then what's your response it can't be to ignore them and it certainly can't be to seek um, profit from from their misery so that would affect how we we do things like lending um, but even more fundamentally than that it's about starting by saying 
that the, the wealth and security we have doesn't actually belong to us. It comes from God in the first place. So we are, um, we're, we're loaned what we have, but we don't possess it. And if, if, if we understand that and our own dependence on God, then actually how we treat other people becomes different because we, we want to help them flourish alongside us, recognizing that we, we all have the use of these resources for a time, but actually that we're all dependent on God. So absolutely, it's, it's a moral issue, <clears throat> not just an economic one. But, uh, and you, you talk about understanding of relationship, of theological understanding of relationship is, a, is just so powerful and, and it really speaks into a society today. We've got a lot to say, haven't we? In the whole yeah. thing about resetting the debt in terms of a relationship changes all sorts of things. Yeah, absolutely. Because if we know each of us that we're made by God, then we also know that we're joined to each other through creation if we're all made by God. Um, and therefore our duty is to kind of look on each other with the same kindness that we know or that God already shows to us. Um, now that might seem a kind of um, odd place to start in an economic system where people, you know, it's what makes the world go around, isn't it? Trade and, and profit and that's, that they're normal things that are present through all societies. Um, but if we put human beings in relationship first, then we won't want an economic system to develop that will, um, it develops what um, former Archbishop Rowan Williams called spiral asymmetry, where the gap just gets wider and wider between creditor and debtor because of interest rates that are so high. And um, that means that nobody can get out of it, out of that cycle. And so to, to make a conscious decision that because of our human relationship with each other, we won't let that happen. That's for me where this work about resetting the debt starts from. It's about going back to being human beings and having dignity as human beings. These are huge themes, aren't they? And, and, and incredibly important for our society because we're saying, we're, we're talking about an economic fundamental, but talking even deeper than that um, and what that might mean. So there is something about, um, you can call it a prophetic voice that the church may have. Um, do you, I don't know whether you want to just say a little bit about that. And, and maybe I could ask the question of, have we lost our prophetic voice? Do we need to find it again? Yeah, I, I'd love us to discover in humility a kind of confidence about what we can contribute to the debate. Because, um, you know, many religions and cultures over centuries have developed ways of thinking about economics and about borrowing and lending well. And, and those practices have kind of evolved over time and, and therefore they give us something to speak into this debate about how this might be done fairly and ethically. So I would want us to come first of all saying we have something to bring. But I'd also want us to come saying, you know, whichever denomination or religion we come from, um, we, we cover the whole of this country. We have that grassroots experience. We know from from our faith communities, from our churches, that there are people in debt who are turning to the church for, um, for help and for advice. And so my feeling is that we're, we're entitled to speak with a degree of confidence about what's wrong because we're there, um, you know, trying to be the hands and feet of Christ and actually getting involved at a grassroots level. Um, we also know, because we represent a whole range of different people, that some people have been hit harder than um, by this than others. So um, low earners were more likely to be furloughed, so were younger workers, so were black and brown people. And we have to talk about the kind of structural things that are there that are unjust to start with, that we have experience of from, from our, you know, across parishes, across churches, um, all across this country. Um, so yes, I would like us to speak much more about 
the effects of our economic policies um, you know, across time and across space, that if we act in a way that um, robs future generations of their legacy, then we're doing something wrong. If we act in a way that um, puts people at a disadvantage in other parts of the country where they're poor, because you know, this is about international debt, it's not just about household debt then again, we're doing something wrong. So I would love churches to gather and, and find their prophetic voice and speak to government, speak to local politicians and say, um, something has to change, put human beings first again and you know, reset the debt. Okay, I, and thank you. There's a, a comment being made or a, that it, it's um, also huge issues of justice, not just morality, yeah. which focuses often on the individual as a child of God, but the community as a holder of wealth justly. That's a really under God. Um, I, I, that's a, a really interesting uh, point to put through that it is an issue of justice. That, you know, I don't know whether you want to reflect on, on the, the difference between justice and, and not just about morality. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I suppose I'm thinking in terms of my own personal response. How could I ever personally hold somebody else in a debt that um, took away their means of survival? That would be immoral on my part. But yes. the scaling up of that into looking at our whole systems and structures, that's for me where justice comes in. And that's, um, that's the kind of value that we have to weigh as a society and say, do we put that above um, individual or corporate profit? And my answer would always be yes. And so therefore the work is about seeing how this works through all of the decisions we make, whether that's about climate change, um, whether it's about um, taxation, whether it's about benefit provision, education, um, that they're all fundamentals in how we live together and, and the structures that surround us. So yes, I, I completely agree. So um, is there something about holding the powerful to account? And one of our um, contributors has just asked that question. Is, it, it's about accountability, calling on for accountability. Has the church got a role in calling those with more power to account? Um, I believe it has. I think it feels a bit that many churches are struggling to find that voice and the Church of England certainly is struggling to find that and um, I think we, you know, our, our reputation has in many ways been damaged by things that we've done wrong, including around failures of safeguarding. So to say, yes, we must speak and the, the world must listen is, feels a little arrogant when there's so much that we need to put right in our own house first. But nonetheless, because of that local church experience, because of that presence with people who are um, in debt, because of you know, the history that we bring over many centuries of, of trying to live in a more just society, I, I do believe we should try to find a way of doing that and, and speak prophetically for that, but on behalf of the poor, not, you know, not, not about maintaining our own place in society, but absolutely enabling those voices to be heard. Um, that needs work to find how you do that, given the kind of clamour of social media. Um, but I'm really committed to being part of it. Yeah, interesting. How, how do we, or perhaps Hannah will help us a little in a minute just to reflect on how our voice be heard. There's a, a, um, a question from uh, Martin. How might, to borrow your expression, large um, debts through no fault of their own be defined in a way that would gain public support in a secular world and not as irresponsible spending or borrowing leading to abuse of the reset, uh, reset the debt system? Um, that might be more of an economic one. Do you, do you want to go for that one? I'm trying to go with it. I hope you'll hand it over to the, the, the real economic experts. I was a bit unfair, isn't it, passing it down to you? I think I was panicked, but I got that one. I mean, I'd pass, yeah. But where I'd start from is that we're wrong to talk in any way about the undeserving poor 
because we have to recognize the fragile circumstances that we've already tolerated people living in before COVID-19 happened. And that's a collective responsibility of something we chose to do. And to then be surprised that people in those precarious positions are pushed over the edge because of this is just naive. So um, yes, uh, you know, we, we, we have to counter that narrative that people have got themselves into this mess. And if we give them relief, they'll just, you know, spend more on their credit cards. We actually have to go back to what are the living conditions that we start from before the crisis happens. Great, thank you so much. That's really, it's really helpful and, and it just um, encourages us, it challenges us enormously, isn't it, to, to really rethink the basis of all the way. We, we, you know, we engage in so many different ways um, in all sorts of uh, reflections that we may have. Um, I'd really like to bring Hannah in, in on this now because um, Hannah, you've been working quite closely with the, well, completely part of Reset the Deck um, and um, I just wondered if you could just unpack a little bit of the, of the campaign and of what it's, what it's aiming to do. Uh, and then we can perhaps think about how we can get on board and, and what we need to do with this. Thank you. Absolutely. And so all of these ideas we've been talking about already this evening, the ideas that Cassius and Paul and Bishop Joanne have unpacked for us, are the kind of the weight and the momentum behind the campaign that we're trying to build around Reset the Debt. And what we're trying to do with that about campaigning at a national level, bringing in sort of grassroots action from you guys who are here today um, and the 650 plus people who've already written to their MPs on this issue, that grassroots mobilisation that's already happening around this is about talking as the whole church to bring this issue into the public space. And so I think we really see um, the church's role in this conversation about bringing this idea of jubilee about resetting the debt bringing the the whole conversation about household debt being an issue particularly for low-income families into the public discussion at the moment there are so many things we need to address but for all of the reasons we've kind of outlined already this evening we think this is an incredibly urgent one um, and so that's why we're, we're kind of publicly campaigning around this can I pick up with one thing that you said and I think one of our contributors has made the point earlier that um, is writing to your MP valuable. I, mean, I think one of the comments I did, if anybody uh, was able to get to the, the JPIC conference, when we were all meeting in person back at the beginning of 2020, I, it seems a demon distant past now, and one of our contributors there who is an MP said actually it, it doesn't have the impact. What do you think? Does writing to your MP help? Is it enough? What, what, what's your reflection on that? Yeah, I think there's a whole range of ways we, we talk and engage with our MPs and there are some that are really constructive and there are some that a bit like that's been pointed out in the chat and that we talked about at the conference that can sometimes feel like kind of knocking at a bit of a closed door. Um, mm. I think it's about developing a relationship with your MP. I think a lot of people in churches and a lot of churches have relationships with their local MPs um, as they've kind of built up that constituency engagement. So I think what we're trying to encourage people to do isn't to write an angry letter to your MP and kind of demand that they do something, but to write them one that outlines why you think this is important, that lays some of the evidence before them, that lays some of the stories of experience before them that, that we've talked about and perhaps we will get a chance to share with the video in a little bit, and says, this is why I, as, as your constituent and we in your community, feel like this needs to be raised. And I think that's a much more constructive way of engaging with your MP as, as they're representing the community um, 
rather than perhaps some of the kind of mass petitions. Sometimes those can be really valuable. That's not the tack we've taken here. It's about opening up that conversation with, with MPs who are change makers in this situation. So we've already seen, so I said earlier, over 650 people have written to their MPs. Um, over half the MPs in Parliament so far have been contacted on this issue already, which is incredible. And we've already seen it being spoken about in Parliament because of that. Somebody's raised that at a committee stage, one of the MPs who's been contacted by their constituents. So you can follow the chain of events um, that go from, from you guys hearing this, writing to your MP and engaging in that discussion to it being discussed in the places where change really ha can happen here. Thank you, because sometimes we feel as an individual, that, you know, we're, we're, we're stuck in our own little spaces. What can we do is often the question, you know, I'm sure a lot of people here today feel a level of frustration um, at, at seeing the, the pain and the difficulties so many communities are facing. And, but what can one person do? So writing to your MP is one way. Are there any, is there anything else that you can suggest that the individuals can do? I do want to think a little bit about the church's response more in a minute, but what about individual responses? Yeah, I think um, there's a kind of twofold of the taking the urgent action for this campaign, but also mm -hmm. opening up the discussion around this with your friends, your family, your community. Um, and we'd really suggest that starts with sharing lived experience. So finding out in your community where this issue has been, uh, trying to listen, um, whether your church might be connected or there might be some different advice centres in your community, finding out what the need has been and where this has been present in your community is a really powerful action you can take as we start opening up a conversation about something that is often unspoken. Debt is, is a really hard issue. Personal debt is a really hard issue to tackle um, for, for a number of reasons. And, uh, there have been some comments in the chat about actually we're not seeing people come to debt advice centres just yet because people sometimes bury their heads in the sand around debt. It's so hard to confront that and people are in difficult situations already. So this campaign is as much about calling for a reset the debt as it is about opening up that conversation and encouraging us as Christians to be part of the conversation about how debt shapes lives. Yeah, I, I mentioned this morning about um, Louise Casey um, commenting on the, the dire situation people find themselves in. And I think one of the things she was saying is that um, it's affecting so many more people now. And so few people are going, I just, I, I wouldn't want to talk about that. So sometimes it's, a, it's the role of the individual just to, to be the voice for someone else at the moment and, and be aware of what is going on in our communities. So, and I just want to say thank you so much for all the comments that we're, that, um, that has been put in the, both the chat and the question and answers, because I think that makes an enormous difference because we're sharing good ideas as you go through. Um, and I know there's some, some really in, uh, people who are already really involved in some of this work. Mm -hmm. um, we, we've talked a little bit individual response. How about the corporate response? And Bishop Joanne, I think has really placed a, a really um, important Thing before us is calling for our prophetic voice as churches um, what does it mean to have that in within reset the debt what what could we really do together what's in our corporate voice here so i think um the reason we're we're campaigning nationally about this is being able to say with legitimacy the churches are calling for this it's not just kind of people who thought about it in an office somewhere somebody in the jpit team it's not been a conversation for us but this is a conversation we're having nationally. This is about connecting up the, the local action that's happening in so many different places to the national voice of the church. And I think that's one of the things that makes it prophetic. 
this can't happen because we've read a book, we've written a paper, we're holding it before somebody. It happens because we're all praying, because we're all discussing and exploring and sharing stories of lived experience and then bringing that before the people who are who are leading this country and making decisions. I think that's where the powerful thing comes in here, um, that actually that's the way we believe as, as Christians we make change. Um, and so what we don't want is for us all to kind of log online, write to our MP, disengage. This is, this is a long-term issue, I'm afraid. It's not something that's, well, we hope that it's something that could go away tomorrow, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the mood has changed in the country around how we ensure that everybody has what they need. So this is about stepping in and choosing to engage with this bigger picture um, from our theology, in our prayer, in our church conversations, as well as our action. Yeah, thank you. Um, we have a question from Nikki who says, have other faith organisations been asked to get involved with this campaign? See, um, we have JPIP, the Joint Public Issues Team, so that's uh, the Methodist Church, the URC Church, Church of Scotland, Baptist Church, of course, see Bishop Joanne um, here today, and uh, we have an, uh, at least representatives of the Church Admin Fund um, who are in partnership with a number of uh, dioceses around the country. What other faith organisations are involved with this? Yeah, so we're working closely with Church Action on Poverty on this, and some of you might have come through them this evening because it's Challenge Poverty Week England and Wales this week, um, which Church Action on Poverty are pioneering. Um, we've got a number of faith and non-faith groups involved. You can have a little look over on our Reset the Debt website um, and see a list of, of endorsements from people. But this is, so we're on day 12 of launching the campaign. Okay. And what we'd really love to do is bring so many more people on board with this. We want to open up that conversation. Um, we are already in conversation with lots of other organisations, faith and non-faith organisations, about this to strengthen the voice um, that we can have collectively. Um, and so we really hope that as this grows and builds momentum, that list of people endorsing this will just get longer and longer. So do check out over on the resettthedebt.uk website, you can see the longer list of people who are supporting us. That's great, thank you. Um, Ian asked the question, is it particularly important to engage with the new Conservative MPs who came in at the last general election um, on the levelling up agenda? Have, are you finding that there is a particular uh, way in with some MPs? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think engaging with some of the new Conservative MPs and the uh, MPs who came at the last election is really important um, as we look to kind of both shape relationships with them, um, but also shape conversation. We're, um, we're working with people as they engage with their MPs to respond to the certain issues that they are raising. So whether they're raising things around the current and existing schemes that are in place um, or if they have questions about the, the practicalities of what we're suggesting, we're, we're offering to work with anybody who's engaging with their MP around that to help you respond and, and build that relationship but certainly there are uh, MPs who are, are movers and shakers in this kind of world and, and in parliamentary conversation at the moment getting involved with those new Conservative MPs if that's your constituency is really important. That's great thank you and it's interesting a number of people are, are um, commenting about perhaps interfaith groups I mean we are only 12 days in so <laughs> connecting is not going to be easy at the moment I mean it's still it's still a work in progress but I wonder if there has been uh, interest in the campaign from other faiths have, have you have you been able to experience that yet bearing in mind we're only 12 days yeah not not practically yet we've we had some great coverage uh, over the launch weekend national coverage and um, we've mostly mostly been christian organizations calling for this so far as as we've explored this is firmly rooted for us in in our theology but we think you know that's a really open conversation to say how can we engage with other faiths 
uh, around this issue and what, what do they bring to the table from their own um, values um, and theology and culture that, that opens up this conversation for them as well. And I think that will only enrich this. So um, we're yet to have those conversations, but it's certainly an open door. Brilliant, thank you. Um, now I'm aware of time and I know that many of you will want to be, um, I've got other things to do this evening. So I want to draw some of this to a close. And I know there are lots of other questions. As I say, great comments in here. Um, there's just one question that I would like to just draw attention to because there's something around uh, uh, the draft debt respite scheme or breathing space. And I don't know whether that's something that you want to talk about, Hannah, um, or perhaps Paul wants to come in on that. How is the, the, this, um, uh, the scheme breathing space different to reset the debt? Because um, I think Rachel asked that question. It's a good question, Rachel, because I certainly um, asked myself that question or asked the question a couple of days ago when I was looking at all of this too. Paul, do you want to just very briefly talk about um, what the, the breathing space theme well, is about I mean, and why it's not the same as reset the debt? Uh, yeah, the breathing space scheme is, is something that uh, many of the responses from uh, especially conservative MPs have mentioned. And it's a fine plan. It's an idea whereby people can essentially, once they seek help, they can say for 60 days, nobody can chase me, nobody, my, my interest payments have stopped. But that is not anything to do with debt relief. And, it was and it's an incremental improvement of the way we've managed debt over the past 10, 15 years. And it's a good thing in that. But it is not, uh, it is not an a sufficient or even an appropriate response to the difficulties we find ourselves in now. Um, I'm not entirely sure why so many Conservative MPs have written back answering a question about, about this uh, rather than answering the question about uh, Jubilee, but that seems to have been happening and it's important not, not to let them confuse the two. And I shall disappear. No, no, don't disappear, because I think we're, we're, we're coming in to the end of our time today. I think we've hopefully begun to whet your attitude. This is so absolutely the beginning and, and so much more needs to be done. And it's all about um, all of you who have engaged and, and had some great conversations in the chat room today. I, I wish I'd had time to read out everybody's. I'm so sorry if I haven't been able to do that, but there, there are some really important things happening um, and some important discussions. So I just wonder if, if uh, Bishop Jan and um, Reverend Cassis would like to come back online just to, just to say a final goodbye. I'm, I, I assume the video is not possible. I, I'm not being able to read all the, uh, no, okay. So it I is, just want to, like oh, sorry? There's a voice. Voice. The video is ready if you'd like to see it. Okay, I think what we'll do is we'll just, I want to say thank you so much to our panellists first and, and say uh, how much we've really appreciated hearing about this. But, um, and I, I don't know if there's anything particularly you wanted to just to say in the, our last minute or so, anything that you want to add, please don't feel you have to. But if there's something burning you think, actually, I'd really like to occur to me, please do just chip in. From me, um, Diane, thank you for the way that you've you've chaired this as well, by the way. Um, I picked up on uh, some of the comments in the chat and uh, just in relation to um, engaging with different uh, faith communities and from an ecumenical standpoint, uh, I think that we have to recognise that these issues of debt are going to touch all communities. So uh, 
um, yeah, can't uh, say enough just about how important it is for us to work together. Um, so yeah, thanks for everybody that's joined. Please continue to spread the word. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And, and just to add as well, anybody who hasn't had their question answered, if you head over to the reset.uk, resetthedebt.uk website, you can add your question into our um, Frequently Asked Questions page and we can get back to you um, directly on that as well. So some of your questions might have been answered over there already, but do get in touch with us directly through that mechanism um, and we can continue the conversation. Thank you. Great. Well, thank you, everyone. Um, I feel it's important actually to have the last word with a lived experience of someone in debt. So I was wondering if we could say goodbye to you and we are going to leave you with this video. Thank you so much and good night. He and me and has fallen behind with bills and rent. Her landlord has been threatening her with eviction. I don't know why I can't get universal credit as I have worked all the time as a student. I worked 30 or 40 hours a week. I paid tax. When I can't work, why can't I get help? I have to prove how bad my joints are in order to get anything. And what if they are good that day? What if I wasn't incapacitated? What hope would I have then? I don't answer the door or answer the phone if I don't know who it is. I know I can't pay the rent. I'm scared it might be the landlord asking for it. And what can I say? I have no money. I can't earn money now and I can't get benefits. I don't go out much in case the locks get changed. I know he shouldn't, but he could. And if he did, I know I owe him. I want to pay, but I can't. Even if I get some work or universal credit, I owe four months rent. I'm not going to have enough to pay that off until I graduate and get a career job. If the debt was taken away, I would cry. I wouldn't be scared or worried all the time. I would be able to study and hopefully get a career job and not always be counting and thinking about money. An estimated 6 million people in the UK have been swept into debt as the result of COVID-19. We need a solution. For people like Leanne, it's time to reset the debt. Visit resetthedebt.uk for more. Truth to Power podcast is produced by Churches Together in Britain and Ireland. The music is by Nikolai Heidlis, used under a Creative Commons licence.